we're, we're ending our Useful Lies series for this month. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's been really good uh, going over some of those uh, useful lies uh, that we sometimes believe in our lives. Uh, just just for, um, for review here real quick, a useful lie is anything untrue that we believe because it's convenient for us. It's convenient to believe these things even though they're not true. Um, many times they excuse our sin. They'll justify our way of life. They'll validate our way of thinking. Uh, and so we, we choose to believe these things, but they always have unintended negative consequences in our lives when we do believe these things. So over the past few weeks, we've talked about several different things. Uh, Cynthia shared with us the useful lie, I can't make a difference. We found out that that's not true. Scripture actually says that you were made to live an extraordinary life. The next week, we talked about uh, the lie, good people go to heaven. That's not true. Scripture says that righteous people go to heaven and that there is no one good. Um, and then last week, I was out of town. I was preaching at a, at a church in Birmingham. Dad shared about that's just the way I am. I listened to the live stream. Whew, okay, it was awesome. Uh, Dad's a trip. Said a few things I would have said myself. He, it's second service. You, if you weren't at second service, you might want to go watch that video. I was like, Dad, you got to be careful, man. But it was awesome. It was great. Dad's a trip. And, um, and we learned that that's not true. That's just the way I am is an excuse that we can change. We can change in God's presence and according to God's word. All of these messages, and not just this series, but previous series, they're all at the Welcome Center on CD. I encourage you to get them. They're also on our VFC Sermon podcast as well as on our website, both the video and the audio. So I encourage you to get caught up. This week, we are talking about this useful lie. God hurts us to teach us. Now, you're, some of you are going to kind of resist this a little bit because of the way that you were brought up in church, okay? I would like to ask you to give me some time. Give me some time to talk to you and to, and to look at Scripture, and, and I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. But the idea that God hurts us to teach us is so incredibly prevalent in our society, especially among church people. I'll never forget when I talked to a friend many, many years ago who was playing softball. He was sliding into second base, and he broke his leg. And he went through the surgery and all that kind of stuff. And then I saw him and I said, man, I'm so sorry to hear about your leg. And his response to me was, yeah, God's teaching me not to play softball. (laughs) Y'all are laughing and shaking your head, but you know that 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 concept is out there. And I I think I I made him mad. I, I said, well, don't you think he could have taught you that without breaking your leg? Or maybe you could just learn to slide better. I don't know. But, but that, I, it was crazy to me that that's the mentality. Is that if something bad, painful, even an injury happens, then God must be trying to teach us something. Many years ago, I had a neighbor who's since moved. But their house was broken into. And so I went down there to talk to her and comfort her and and encourage her because her husband was out of town and she was freaking out. So I talked to her and, and she said, you know, I just can't help but think that this happened because I haven't been going to church lately. 
And I looked at her and I said, I need you to think about that for a minute. If God punished people for not going to church by having people break into their home and steal from them, there'd be, break, there'd be like hundreds of break-ins every single night. She said, oh, that's right. But see, she was brought up in a very rule-based, law-based, punitive Christian theology that taught that, that you better, you know, God was cosmic Santa Claus. You know, he's, he sees you when you're sleeping. You know, you better act right. You better watch out. And, and if you do something bad, then something bad's going to happen to you. And so scientists have, even, scientists have even proven that our brain is hardwired to find meaning when it always isn't there. And so because of this, though, we need to be super careful. You know, this idea has God doing some really awful things to us in order to reveal truth to us. But we know that he's not, he, he, he wrote it down for us. That's his means of truth. He given, he's given us his Holy Spirit to speak to us. That's how he reveals truth to us. You guys know, here's another example. Many times when a loved one passes away, you will hear things like, well, God just took this person. Or, or, or God needed, this is the worst one, God needed a choir, an angel in heaven's choir. I've heard that. I've heard people say that, and they say it seriously. And, and the problem is, is that's nowhere near being scriptural. It may, it, it may temporarily help a person to make it through that moment. But the problem is, is it teaches the wrong, incorrect lesson about who God is and what he does. Let me say this, and I really want you to take this to heart. If your theology has God doing things that we would put an earthly father in jail for doing, you need to rethink your theology. You know, if God... Go back to the guy that hurt himself playing softball. If that guy's father said, I really don't want you to play softball. And the son said, no, I'm going to play it anyway, dad. And the father said, okay, let me grab my bat. Boom, and went misery on him. Like that, we would put that guy in jail, right? Do y'all remember the movie where they, anyway, sorry. They broke the legs. I don't, you shouldn't be watching that. Too late. That's awful. What, what, if, what, if, what if, you know, a, a, a young adult, you know, had a problem of forgetting to lock up their house at night, so their parent arranged for a robber to break in and steal their stuff to teach them a lesson? That's terrible. You would look at that father, you'd say, you're a terrible person. Then why do we ascribe that to God? That doesn't make any sense, does it? So God does not hurt us to teach us what does Scripture actually says. This is what Scripture says. It says God disciplines us to teach us. God disciplines us to teach us. So let's look at Scripture and let's find out what does this discipline look like? What does this suffering look like that we go through um, underneath the Lord's leading? Proverbs three eleven through 12 says this. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So the discipline of God, it's not always joyful. As a matter of fact, it's often painful because no one likes being told no. No one one likes being disciplined, right? But discipline is different than child abuse, 
And we have to protect the character of God and nature of God by drawing a line and saying, yes, God disciplines. Yes, he does these things, but, and it's for our own good. But it's, he doesn't hurt us to teach us. He's not going to put you in a car wreck to teach you a lesson. That's mean. And he's smart enough to teach you without doing that to you. Will he put you in timeout? Yeah. Will he swat you on the rear end? He will. But will he hurt you? No, he'll discipline you. Hebrews chapter 12 quotes Proverbs 3 and talks a little bit more about it. And towards the end of this passage, it says this. For our earthly fathers, Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So how do you know if the pain you're going through in life is discipline from God or not? Well, what fruit does it produce in your life? What did the scripture say? It says, in the end, this discipline produces a peaceful harvest of right living. Does it produce a peaceful harvest of right living in your life? Or does it yield fear, insecurity, and anger? If what you're going through is is yielding fear, insecurity, and anger, I submit to you that there is a better form of discipline God has for you, and you're actually walking in abuse from the enemy, not from the Father. And that's how you know the difference. What, what sort of fruit? You know, I get corrected by the Lord all the time. I went through a season, I've shared this before, I went through a season for, of about six months where the Lord had me cleaning up everyone else's trash. Like, I'd be walking downtown, and there'd be like a cup on the side of the road, and I'd, he's like, pick it up. Okay, pick it up, put it in the trash can. He was disciplining me. He was teaching me, you're not too good to clean up after other people. And it took about six months for me to get it. You'd think it'd take me a week, but I, evidently I was a hard case. And he's gone through, I mean, we've all been through seasons of that, right? This is the Lord's discipline. It's not fun. It's painful. I want someone else to do this, not me. But he disciplines us so it will produce righteousness in our lives. He was preparing me for ministry. I didn't know it at the time. He was getting my heart ready. But he didn't give me lupus. Do you see the difference? That's the difference. That's the difference between how a good father disciplines and how the enemy hurts us. Look, I need you, and we talk about this all the time, but I need you to understand this is so, so, so important. God is good. God is good. His nature is good. His nature is revealed in Jesus. Look at what Jesus was like, what he came to do, willingly sacrifice and lay down his life for others, to love the unlovable, to love those that he didn't really like. God is good. John 10.10, is Jesus is talking about the fact that he's the good shepherd and that unlike the good shepherd, there are false prophets that are trying to also manipulate and teach the sheep. And he compared himself to those false prophets. And the spirit behind the false prophets is the devil, the enemy. And he says this in John 10, 10, the thief, the thief, the false prophet, the enemy, 
does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, who? The sheep may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. So we've got a clear line in the sand that's drawn where Jesus says, look, if it's life and life abundantly, it's me, the good shepherd. Okay? And sometimes the good shepherd has to get onto the sheep. And sometimes the good shepherd has to say, you've had enough to eat over here. Come over here. It's time to get with the rest of the group. Right? So it's not that he just lets you, a good shepherd doesn't let you do whatever you want to. He disciplines. But it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. And there's a big difference between the two. Let me just put it in caveman terminology so we can all get it. All right? So easy a caveman can do it. You ready? God good, Satan bad. I think we can all remember this, right? God good, unga. Satan bad. So if something is stealing, killing, or destroying in your life, it's not a trial God has sent you. It's a trial God is empowering you to overcome through him. And it's come from his enemy, and you have authority over it. Get to work. Get to work. And so this is what scripture teaches. Not that God hurts us to teach us, but God disciplines us to teach us and that God is good. Acts 10, 38, so clear. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Okay, now look, all three persons of the Trinity are are in activity right there in that one sentence. You need to pay attention. The Father, God the Father, anointed Jesus, God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. They're all working together. So let's see what happens when, when, when they do this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. Then Jesus, then, since that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, Jesus went around doing good, good, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So who's the oppressor? The devil. Who's the healer? God. For God was with him. Unless you think that somehow Jesus was the good guy, fending God the Father off. Hey, just back off of him, Lord. I'm going to take care of him. No, it's God the Father's idea that Jesus heals him. They're all working together. Look, when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together in your life, there's going to be healing. And if there's still oppression in your life, it's the enemy. God good, devil bad. Okay. Romans 8, 28. Popular passages of scripture. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, I've heard this verse used to like prop up the idea that God does bad things to people. Well, hey, God causes everything to work for good. In other words, he caused this in order for it to be good in your life. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God causes everything. It says God causes everything that happens to work together for your good. And it's not just everyone. It says work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's conditional, right? There's a condition that has to, has to be met. It's his children that love him and are working towards his goal. When bad things happen, when the enemy attacks... He says, well, I'm going to make this, this stinks. I know, this is terrible, we have an enemy, but I'm going to make it work for good. It doesn't say that he caused it. It says that he causes it to work to, for good. Do you see the difference? It's a big difference. So God is good. God is good. 
So that should make you ask a question. It makes me ask a question. I want to spend the rest of my time on this. Well, if God doesn't hurt us to teach us, if God is not the author of our pain, and God is not the one that's stealing, killing, and destroying, then why do bad things happen? I'm going to get a little theological on you. Are you good to go? You ready? You need to stretch? All right? It's not going to be that bad. You can handle this. Okay? But you need to know this. This is important so that you can properly process the future and you can help others process their past. This is important for your ministry that you're called to do. Whether it's talking a coworker, uh, talking with a coworker about their recent divorce, whether it's helping someone else navigate through uh, the pain in their life, this is really important for you to understand. We need to understand why these bad things happen. We've defended the character and the honor of the Lord, making sure that we understand that He's not the one that does it. But it's still important for us to understand why these things happen. So I'm going to give you three reasons why bad things happen. Here's the first one. In our free will, we make bad decisions apart from God's will, and it causes harm. The first reason that bad things happen is that in our free will, in other words, our own ability to make choices and decisions apart from God's will, it causes harm when we do this. It causes harm. Let me show you this scripture. James chapter 1, 14 through 17. It says this. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, red flag, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect gift coming down to us from whatever is a good and perfect gift coming down to us is from God our Father. What is he saying? He's saying, look. When we make bad choices, we're enticed by sin and we do stupid stuff that hurts us and it hurts others. And don't be misled. Every good gift's from God and every bad gift from your decisions. You know what it says? That's what it says. That's what it says. Um, I need you to understand this. We think of evil or bad, bad things as like something that exists. I want you to think of it this way. God is not the author of evil. God is the author of choice. God allows you to make choices. And although God has a will, a specific will, he wants you to follow in these particular areas of your life. He has given you the ability to either agree with his will or go out on your own under your own will. And when we do that, it hurts us. So God's not the author of evil. God is the author of choice. Now, evil is not a thing in and of itself that God creates. Evil is an absence of good. I'll give you an example, light and dark. If, if I want you to make it darker in your living room at home, what do you do? You turn out the light. Why don't you turn up the dark? Because there's no such thing. Dark is simply an absence of light. Okay? You have to manipulate the light in order to get dark. Are you with me? In the same way, when you turn out the God in your life, when you turn out the good in your life, what's the natural result? Evil, bad, bad things. Does that make sense? So you're like, God, why are you letting this evil happen? He's like, no, 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 no. 
No, this evil is happening because people are turning out the light. It's dark because people are turning out the light. He didn't create evil to attack you with. It's not a thing. It's a lack of a thing. Let me give you an example. Eric, if you'll help me out and bring the umbrella with you. That's the Lord. Just making sure you're awake. So, get a little closer here. Is this awkward? A little bit. A little bit. Sweet. So, here I am. I'm Joe Christian. You get to be Jesus. Okay? I know. It's a good day for you. So, here's Jesus, and I've decided that I'm going to follow Jesus. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. And, and here we are. And when, I, and when Jesus moves, move a little bit for me, I move. Why? Because I'm following him. Okay? You can stop moving now. And you can take me back where we are. Sweet. But see, we're following together, right? We're, I'm following Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, let's say, Jesus, I'm really wanting a spouse right now. And you haven't given me one yet. So I'm going to go get one. And now I'm out from under the umbrella of his protection. And if all of a sudden I start dating around, I get hurt, bad things happen. I'm not going to say what I started to think. Filter. Bad things happen. And I think, God, why? Why did you do this to me? He's like, "Um, you came out from under following me. This is the world without me. You've turned down the light, and dark is the result. Does that make sense? But, it's, but we need to follow Jesus. We need to follow him wherever he goes, and, and we're just together. But then all of a sudden we think, you know what? I just need to let loose one night. I need to have fun. I need, I'm going to go out party with my friends. They're not all Christians. That's okay. I'll be a light or something. <laughs> I'll just do a couple of shots. <laughs> Dance the night away. And now where am I? Out from under his umbrella protection. And so I get in a wreck because I was driving drunk. Oh, God, why are you doing this to me? He didn't do it. We came out from under his protection, right? We're not following him anymore. We made a bonehead decision. And... If I do that, I go get drunk and I get in a wreck. I don't just hurt myself, I hurt someone else. And many of you have been hurt, not by your own free will decisions, but because of the dumb free will decisions of others. And God's, and, but God can't stop it. Why? Because they turn down the light. Now, does God, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but does God intervene? He does intervene. But he has to allow the repercussions of our actions or he's a bad father. Right? A good father doesn't shield a bad child from making bad decisions. They need to feel the results of their bad decisions. Right? So that how, that's how that works. Thanks, Eric. I'll give Eric a hand for absolutely nothing. So that's the first reason. It's, we make bad choices. You know, people say, I believe everything happens for a reason. I do too, but sometimes that reason is that you're just dumb. <laughs> or I'm dumb. People say that, and they may, I, everything happens for a reason, right? God just commanded me to throw this pen across the stage. It's for, look, God's given us free will, okay? Don't get all super hyper-religious where everything happens for, well, it does. God, God, will, God will, as we already saw, he, he will redeem. 
He will redeem the bad things, right? But don't sit here and think that God's some cosmic puppet master that's pulling every string. That's just not what Scripture teaches. It's not. Clearly says that we get to choose. Here's the next reason. Bad things also happen because we live in a sin-infected, broken world. I, I, this, this is some bad news, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news. There's good news attached to it at the end. But you need to understand first, y'all, the environment that we live in is sick. It's broken. It's fallen. And it can't get up. Okay? It's just the world we're in. Let me show you some scripture. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's like we're in some kind of bad zombie movie. We're all infected with sin disease, every single one of us. And because of that, because of our great, 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 great grandfather Adam and Eve, she had a role to play as well, ladies. But because of this, we're all infected. Now, some of us are taking the Jesus antidote. And some of us are finding that we're able to walk apart from the sin infection as we continue to take him as our antidote, as our medicine. But you need to understand the people around you, myself included, yourself included, we're all sick with a sin disease, with a sin nature, with a carnal nature. Okay, And because of that, people act on that nature. And so the environment that you're in, at your workplace, at Walmart, at school, at wherever you are, there's, there are sick people all around, all around us, okay? Sin, spiritual sickness, you understand, right? Spiritual sickness. Not only that, check this out, Romans 8, 18 through 22. It says this, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. So what's, what's the topic here? The topic is going through tribulation, suffering, things like that, right? Bad things happening. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with either eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death. And decay, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Isn't that interesting? Not only the people around you sick with a sin disease, but the world we live in is sick. All creation has been affected by this. Isn't that what I just said? And so no wonder we see hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes and mudslides and wildfires. You know, the insurance company will call those acts of God. But they're not, are they? It's a broken creation. They need to call it acts of Adam. Because through Adam, sin entered into the world, and now the world's sick. Does that make sense? And so, you know, but that's good news. Because you know what that means? As a believer in Jesus Christ, one with his authority and power, I have authority over those things. It's not God doing those things. God is not the author of all the world's problems. He's the solution to it. And so when we see these things, it's, it's funny. The message says it this way, one line. It says, these difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. I've seen babies birth, y'all. It wasn't pretty. Okay? And there was a lot of yelling going on, especially that second baby. 
Tiff decided that she was going to be superwoman and not use any drugs. That was a good one. <laughs> it was our biggest baby, of course, because that's how you know, things work. And, uh, man, she was yelling, ah! I mean, she was, you know, pushing the baby out, delivering the baby. That's what the world, when you see, next time you see a thunderstorm, just look at the thunderstorm and say, hey, world, push, push. Because it's sick with sin, just like we are. Does that make sense? And so, look, don't, God's not out there sending, you know, and there are preachers, look, I, and I love them, and I'm for them, I'm not against them, but I'm against their theology. People say, well, a tornado came and destroyed this building because of the homosexuals. You know what? That's so scripturally ignorant. It, it harkens back to old Mesopotamian days when the farmers, when the, the, the Euphrates would flood and drown their crops. and like, we need to kill someone in order to appease the sky god. Well, it's not Jesus. It's dead religion. So, so don't, when you look at these things and you see them, understand, hey, this is the world we live in. Good thing I belong to Jesus. Amen? All right, here's the last reason. Why bad things happen. This is the one that most of you probably would have said first. I saved it to last because of that. And it's this reason. We have an enemy who hates us. We have an enemy who hates our guts. Now, I need you to understand I love your guts. Okay? But Satan (laughs) hates your guts. He doesn't like the image of God in you. And Scripture clearly tells us. Scripture clearly tells us that Satan has a role in what happens on this earth. Now, this is going to stretch some of you, okay? But I encourage you, submit and yield to Scripture. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We are of God, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So who's in charge of the world? The wicked one. Now, we, we throw the phrase God's in control around, you know, like it's candy. Well, you know, God's in control. What, what people really mean when they say that is, I don't know the answer. I don't know. God's in control. Lazy theology. Right? Are you with me? God's in control. Well, except the scripture says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The sway, the influence of the wicked one. Now listen to this. Let me, let me make a, a, a clear differentiation here. God is in charge. Always. God is always in charge. It's his world. It's his reality. He's God. None of us are, including the devil. God's in charge. But God has delegated some control to us, and we gave it away in the Garden of Eden to the enemy. And the enemy does have a measure of control, you guys. We see it in Scripture, right? And so these little platitudes, well, God's in control. God's in charge. And he loves you. And he has a plan. But it's up to us to come into alignment with that plan. And to come into alignment with that will. Because if we don't, the whole world is under the sway or influence of our enemy. That's why you cannot. You cannot play with the world system. It's going to hurt you. It's going to burn you. Okay? 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this, Stay alert. Watch out 
For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Look, none of us are exempt. We all go through stuff, right? And there, there is an enemy out there. Now, you don't need to be afraid of him. You have authority over him. Behold, I've given you the authority over to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's Luke 10, 19. So you have authority, okay? But to ignore the fact that we have an enemy is stupid. It's silly, okay? It's just as wrong as, as, as other bad theology. So we do have an enemy who hates us. So, just, just to go over it again, bad things happen because of free will, bad decisions. It happens because we live in a sin-infected world filled with sin-infected people. And we have an enemy, the devil, who hates us. Let me share a scripture with you. This is how I'm going to end. It's John 16, 33. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He just actually gives them a bunch of bad news if you want to read it on your own. He just actually says, y'all are going to be scattered and you're, you know, it's, going to be, it's not going to go so well this next little bit. He goes, but these things I've spoken to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. See, you can have peace and not freak out when bad things happen around you because Jesus already warned you. He said, look, people make bad decisions. It affects us. All right? We live in a broken world. It's going to affect us. There are viruses out there. There are tragedies out there. Okay? Now, He has overcome the world. Does that mean that we're just holding on for dear life? Oh, Lord Jesus, please just help me until I can get to heaven. No. There's authority that he gives you, right? There's there's protection and deliverance and salvation that he gives you. There is a measure of victory over these things on earth, and there's total, complete victory over these things in heaven. He has overcome the world. Notice he says, I want you to have peace, and I want you to have peace. Courage. That means you don't, look, the world is looking for Christians who say, you know what? World isn't so good all the time, is it? It's not good. Threats of war, crazy dictators across the oceans, people doing bad things. There's drug addiction, all sorts of bad things that's happening in our communities. But you know what? I'm going to have peace because I know the peacemaker. I'm going to have courage. I'm not going to be afraid. And I'm going to take the kingdom of God from heaven to earth and make it manifest in the world around me. I'm going to reveal my relationship with Jesus through my actions. I'm going to make change to this place. Amen? Amen. Look, God doesn't hurt us to teach us. He can do that without hurting you. He's smart. But these things happen, and we've got to approach them with two things, peace and courage. And that's my question for you this morning as we end. Are you willing to walk in peace and courage despite the pain in life? Are you willing to run to God, not from God, during times of tragedy? Are you willing to learn how to exercise your authority in Christ to take authority over these things that happen? That's why we pray for sickness so much here. We're bringing heaven to earth. You know, there's no sickness in heaven. I pray, if I've ever prayed for you, you may have heard me say that. So say you're praying to me and you've got a cracked elbow and it's hurting you. 
Okay? And, and I'll, say, I'll say this. I'll say, Lord, there are no cracked elbows in heaven. Right? Peter's not up there in heaven. Oh, I've been opening the gate too much. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a totally unbiblical concept anyway. But besides that, <laughs> Peter's up there. He's like, why y'all have me opening the gate down there on earth? Why? Like, that's not what I do at all. There are no cracked elbows in heaven. Jesus said to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So when I pray for your cracked elbows, you want to have a cracked elbow this morning? If, if, I, if I have a, so if I pray for a cracked elbow, I'm pray, all I'm doing is I'm, I'm praying that what's going on in heaven simply comes to earth as Jesus instructed me to do. I don't have to be afraid. Well, what if it doesn't work? I'm just saying what Jesus said. And I'm just bringing heaven down to earth. It's easy, right? You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Just pray that way. I encourage you. It's an easy way to pray. I like it. But are we going to respond to this in peace and courage? Are we going to be just like the world and freak out and run away? God is calling Christians to step up and say, look, the God I serve doesn't hurt me to teach me. If I get hurt, it's because of these three reasons, and I still have victory over it and... When I do go to be with him, I'm going to have total victory over it because he has overcome the world. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. If you will close your eyes for a moment. Y'all know I always like for us to internalize the message. If you will, just begin to focus on Jesus and ask him this question real quick. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying to me, Lord? Do I react to the things of life with peace? Do I react to the tribulation and trials of life? With courage? If you will, I'd like to lead you in a prayer where we commit to the Lord that despite this situation that we're in, that we're going to allow Him to be Lord of our lives and move forward in peace and courage. So if you will, pray this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me because I belong to you. I have no need to fear. You're a good father. You don't hurt me to teach me. You discipline me. And that's a good thing. Because it proves that you love me. So Lord, these bad things that do happen, they don't come from you. They come from these other things. And I choose to exercise my authority given to me by you in order to overcome the world. I invite you to change my mind when I think wrong thoughts about this sort of thing. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Eric, will you close us out?